Thank you, Dakota. Today we are finishing up chapter 3 of uh, these messages that we're doing through the letter of James, through the book of James, uh, in the New Testament. We've been doing this for a little while now, we've got a few more weeks to go. We've been looking at this letter written by the little brother of Jesus, this practical how-to Christian living uh, letter. And, and what we've been trying to figure out, or the, the question that we've been asking ourselves most of these weeks as we've worked through these messages is, do we possess what we confess? Do we possess what we confess? As we examine our lives, or maybe as someone else examines our lives, does it have the qualities and the characteristics of, of what we confess to, to have or what we believe to have? Is our faith in Jesus changing our life at all? Or is it just kind of a verbal only or a, a, you know, confession only type of thing? James believes and teaches over and over again that a faith in Jesus changes the life that we live, changes the way that we live. And so today, we finish chapter 3 with the topic of wisdom. Topic of wisdom. And we already talked about wisdom a little bit, just a little bit, um, in the second week of this. It was in chapter 1, where James said, if you lack wisdom, ask, and our generous God will give it. And in that instance, he was talking about needing wisdom when we're going through troubles and trials. And that's, that's obviously a time when we need wisdom. But he was kind of specifically talking about needing answer and needing direction, asking, and God will give it to you. This time, this is a little bit different. He's talking about wisdom more in the sense of kind of a characteristic of a person. Not just a single instance of needing wisdom, but being a wise person. Being the kind of person who is... Uh, who is a wise person. And so today, James is going to say something incredibly bold, and I'm not sure that everyone in the room agrees with it, uh, which, which will make this fun. In essence, James says that someone who has placed their faith in Jesus should be a wiser person after their conversion and should be growing in wisdom the longer that you follow Jesus. Okay. I want you to think about that for a second, because I don't know if you agree with that. But think about it. Should a faith in Jesus have an effect on our wisdom? On, on whether or not we become a, a, a wiser person, a more wise person? Yes, we say Christians should be more loving, and yeah, Christians should be more more patient, um, more generous, but wisdom? Would, 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 would you agree that a faith in Jesus, someone before Jesus versus someone after they place their faith in Jesus, one of the differences in their life should be uh, the, the wisdom that, that they have. Should they have better understanding about life? Should, should they make better decisions? I want you to think about that. Don't just rush past it. Should people whose faith in Je- have faith in Jesus have, have more wisdom, godly wisdom, than people who don't have faith in, w- faith in Jesus? We could sit here and we could name people that are wise in life. And I don't know whether they're Christians or not. It's not my job to decide whether or not they're Christians. But like Warren Buffett, he seems pretty wise. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I have no idea. But let's just say he's not. Like, should Christians have a, a, 
should a characteristic of a Christian life be that, that they should have more understanding about life and be a better decision maker about life like Warren Buffett before they had, had a faith in Jesus versus after they had a faith in Jesus? If this is true, if this is true that Christians should be more wise, then, then what do we do with, with Christians, maybe ourselves, who seem to be in just as much drama, trouble, conflict, and debt as before they met Jesus. This is why this is a bold statement. It's easy to kind of think about other people in our life, but think about yourself. Since you've put your faith in Jesus, would you say your life is less drama, less trouble, less conflict? You're better with money. You're better with time. You're better with your calendar. You're better with your schedule. What, what do we do when we analyze or assess our lives and, and we would say, you know what, we, we, we have a faith in Jesus, but we also still have a lot of stupidity. Let's don't point the finger at anybody else. Let's just point it at ourselves for a second, okay? I believe in Jesus, but I seem to still be as immature, unintelligent, uh, unwise as, as before I met Jesus. This is bold. Because James seems to be saying that Christians should be able to better manage relationships, crisis, money, families, and time. But would you describe Christians that way? I'm interested, you know, based on your experience, you know, culturally or in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your family, would you say, yeah, the Christians in my life are the best at managing their relationships, crisis, money, managing their family, managing their time. As I look at my life pre-Jesus, post-Jesus, after Jesus, I got so much better at managing my relationships, crisis in my life, money, families, and time. Hopefully the answer is yes. I would say the answer should be yes. I believe James teaches the answer is yes, that Christians should be better at these things, but not because we're necessarily smarter, and this is important, but because we're wiser Not because we're smarter, but because we're wiser. Knowing Jesus does not raise your IQ. That would be awesome. You know, there'd be a lot of conversions before the SAT. It'd be like the greatest evangelism opportunity ever to stand outside the SAT testing center. But that's not how it works. It's not because you necessarily are smarter, but because you're wiser. Well, what's the difference between being smarter and being wiser? You've probably heard the famous adage, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it on a fruit salad. Maybe you've heard that before. But there's a difference between, between y'all never heard that? Uh, my grandfather had, had a lot of sayings like that. James is not saying that Christians should be the smartest people in the world. But we should be growing in wisdom. Matter of fact, the Bible would say that, you know, sometimes being really, really, really smart can get in the way of a faith in Jesus. Not that we don't use our heads to be Christians. We do. It's not just a blind faith. But sometimes, you know, the Bible talks about God making the foolish wise and things like that. And so it's not that we have to turn off our heads. But we're going to find out today in in these verses what wisdom is, and how we can know if we're growing in it. That's really the question that we need to find out, is what is wisdom, and how can we know if we're growing in it? How can we know if we have it? 
As, as we think about our life, as we think about pre-Jesus, pre-conversion, pre-faith in Jesus, pre-Savior Jesus, and, and post-conversion, how can we know if we're growing in wisdom? Well, we're going to find out today because James is going to teach us those two things. We're going to keep it really simple. Another grandfather saying, we're just going to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf today. All right, we're going to keep it very simple. Because James is going to tell us, what is wisdom and how do I know if I have it? What is wisdom and how do I know if I have it? How do I know if I'm growing in it? And we're given a great opportunity today to examine our faith in Jesus. And if it has affected our decision making, our perspective, and our understanding. Has your faith in Jesus affected your decision making, your perspective, and your understanding? So let's look at this. Just two questions we're going to answer. What is wisdom? How can I know if I have it? So number one, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Think for a moment, and if you're in a, a growth group, you're going to have to answer this question, so I'm going to give you a chance to go ahead and think of the answer for you. But think for a moment about the wisest person that you know. Who is the wisest person that you know? Take, take a moment and think about that. Wisest person you know. You got it? Now, now that you have that person in your mind, what made you pick that person? What made you think, when I said who's the wisest person you know, what made you think about that person? Or, or what quality stood out the most to you about that person that, that made you think they were the, the wisest? It wouldn't be a sermon without a C.S. Lewis quote, so let me give you one here about wisdom. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, probably all who think about him, talking about a humble man, is that he seemed cheerful. This is in mere Christianity. That he seemed cheerful, intelligent uh, chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it would be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, Tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And uh, a biggish step, too. At least nothing, whatever, can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. So what is the characteristic that you, that you thought of when I asked you about the wisest person? James gives us the most important characteristic, and it's probably what you thought of, whether it was the word you used or not. In verse 13, James says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. This, in this first verse, we read what it is. The rest of the verses are going to tell us how we know if we're growing in it. But right here, James tells us that wisdom is humility. And I would be willing to bet that that's the quality you thought of, whether that's the word you used or not. When you thought of, or maybe right now as you're thinking of the most wise person, the wisest person that you know, I would be willing to bet that the quality that they possess is a real humility. But it's not because they have nothing to be prideful about. Matter of fact, the person that you're thinking of who is the most uh, wise person you know probably has a long list of accomplishments or things that they could be proud about. Their family, maybe you respect 
the family that they have or the way that they've managed their life or managed their money or maybe they have a lot of professional accomplishments or maybe it's their physical appearance or the way they take care of their body or the relationships that they have and the friendships they develop. It's not that they're humble because they have nothing to be proud about. James says they actually accomplish good things in honorable ways. You'll just never catch them saying that. And it's not because they've looked in the mirror and taught themselves how not to brag about themselves. It's that their perspective of themselves is not prideful. They don't look at their life and see it the way that you look at their life. They have accomplished a lot of great things. They do have things that should be respected. But you'll never catch them viewing themselves in that way. They're not, it's not a false humility. It's a real humility that doesn't view themselves too highly. It's a proper perspective of, of their life. And James says that wisdom is proven. It's not just talk. It's proven. And, and what it proves it's proven by the life that you have, that wisdom is not just talk. You can't just, you can't just say, I'm a wise person. You can't just say, I'm really smart. Let me tell you about what you need to do or, or prove it in some way based on what you say. Wisdom is proven by a track record of your life, which is why probably who you thought of was an older person than a younger person. Nobody in the room probably thought of a 24-year-old. Right? Because there's not a track record yet. There's not a track record yet. It's proven, and, and it, there's, there's good deeds, there's good works, there's an honorable life. There, there's a track record of faithfulness and respect and humility. Now, how is this different for a believer? Because it would be possible. It would be possible for someone who's not a Christian to live an honorable life and to to have good deeds, maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you would say, you know, the wisest person I know is a, a grandparent or a, an uncle, and they're not a believer. Well, the reason that this is important for a believer is because humility is a requirement to be a Christian. Humility is a requirement for coming to Christ because all we can bring to Christ is our sin. We can't bring any good works or any good deeds or any credentials or any accomplishments to Christ because they're not worth anything. All we can bring to Christ is our sin, which means it is impossible to put your faith in Jesus and to become a Christian without humility. A proper perspective of who you are and what you bring to the relationship. If the process of you becoming a Christian was you convincing God that you were worth it, you did not become a Christian. Your faith is still in yourself. It's not in the work of Jesus Christ. And so that means that for a Christian, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We have a perspective that recognizes we're not as great as we act like we are. And churches, unfortunately, are not great at this. We, we all work really hard in church to kind of present a certain thing. But a Christian knows we're, we're not as great as we act like we are. And this can be hard to swallow because humility is a realistic understanding of who you are. Humility is a perspective, a realistic understanding of who you are. And that is why Christians should be the most humble people. Because in order to become a Christian, like we said, you have to understand who you are. 
So for, for a Christian, there are two things that should make us the most humble people on earth. Number one is that we know we are sinners in need of a Savior. This should make us humble. This should give us humility. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Not just one time, at all times. I didn't just confess my sin one time. I'm constantly confessing. I'm constantly needing grace. I'm constantly coming to Christ. Not to be resaved over and over again, but because confession is a rhythm of my life because I, the, the closer I get to Jesus, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I recognize how much grace I need, not less. And so the more in love I get with Jesus, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I see my inadequacies and the more I see my need for grace. So it would be an oxymoron for there to be such a thing as a prideful Christian. A prideful Christian is someone who is recognizing or believing they need less grace. But the, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we, we see ourselves in a proper perspective. But then also Christians know that we're just stewards of the blessings that God has given us. So not only are, are we sinners in need of a Savior, but we also look at our life and look at what we have or look at what we've accomplished and realized that we are just stewards of those things. We cannot look at our life and take credit in some prideful way for, for, what, we, for, for what we've accomplished or what we've done. Now, now, listen, humility is not some weak person who says, woe is me, I'm a nobody, okay? Humility is a person who says, I'm nobody, but Jesus Christ thinks I'm somebody, I'm not walking around moping or or holding my head down because I'm nobody, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. A Christian is somebody who says, I I finally know the truth about myself and I, I recognize that about myself. But I also understand that while I am and was a nobody, now I'm somebody, but it's through the power of Jesus Christ. And so my faith doesn't make me better than you. The power of Christ working in my life doesn't make me better than you. The blessings that God has given me in my life doesn't make me better than you. It just makes me better than me. Better than who I could be without Jesus Christ and the power of Christ in my life. Again, hard to swallow. Especially in this society and culture, this you know, American kind of accomplishment society. People who believe in Jesus, people who believe in God, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, we, we recognize we didn't choose our IQ. We didn't choose our race. We didn't choose our physical stature. We didn't choose the family we were born to. Some of us affected our physical stature. You understand what I'm saying? But we didn't choose the, the basic genetic code of our physical stature, the family that we were born to, the century that you were born in. Most of the qualities that make you successful now would not have made you successful like in the 1400s. I'm really good with computers. Well, you're in trouble, you know? Like, it's, it's, uh, it, it, these are things outside of our control. And some of us right now, as you hear this, you're, you're wrestling with this because you're like, wait a second, Jason. I've worked hard for what I've got. no. You've worked hard with what you've got. Because what you, what you started with was beyond your control. 
It was a blessing from God wherever it was. The starting point was something that was beyond your control. And yes, you took personal responsibility for your life. And yes, you worked hard with what you were given. But, but Christians cannot compare or Christians should not be prideful because we understand and have a proper perspective that we are just stewards of the life that God has placed us in and where, where, we, where we are at. And so, yeah, like, you're, you're really good with, with, with money. But is it possible that, like, you are, like, fifth generation of somebody who's been good with money in your family? Or, yeah, you're really smart, but is it possible that, like, there's something that explains, like, where you were or some school you were able to go to or, or, or yeah, physically you, you're, you're able to dominate certain things. But is it possible that God, you know, you know gave you parents who were, like, 6'4", Right? These are not things that you look in the mirror and go, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. Christians should look in the mirror and go, thank you, God, for the blessings that I have, for the places that you've put me and the opportunities that you've given me. There are people smarter than you, more talented than you, accomplishing less and making less than you. But there are also people way less talented way less smart, and it would be silly for you to look at them and say, I'm better than them, because they may actually be doing way more with what they've been given than what you're doing with what you're given. This is what Jesus said about the widow who put the two two mites in the offering. He said, she has given more than all the other people. They were putting large sums of money in the offering. And Jesus said, she gave more. What was he saying? He was saying... Based on her starting point, she's done way more than these people. This is why Christians should not be prideful people because we, we, it would make no sense for us to look at another parent to gauge our parenting because we have no idea the family of origin or the starting point for those parents. To look at someone's bank account or look at someone's title or to look at someone's behavioral record and, and, to say, and, to, and to draw value on ourselves because we can only be responsible or gauge the starting point that God has given us. But if you don't believe in a God who is in control of life origins and life endings, then it would be very easy for you to believe that you're responsible for all of your success. And comparison is silly for everybody, but especially Christians. Because we're just stewards. We're just stewards. We don't know where people are at or what, or what they've been given. And so this is one way that I can know whether or not I have, I have wisdom. And we're going to look at this in just a second. But how often am I gauging or grading myself based on what I'm seeing in other people? This is a way to know if I'm growing in wisdom or not. So, so James tells us, first question we're answering is, what is wisdom? He says, wisdom is humility. It's a person who does have a track record, who has proven that they are smart or growing or accomplished. There, there, is, there, is, there is good deeds, honorable life, but it's a person that has a humility, a humility. So how can I know if I have it? That's what wisdom is. How can I know if I have it? How do I know if I'm growing in it? Well, I'm going to show you 
at least two ways, maybe there's more in these verses, but I'm just going to show you two ways to know if we can growing in wisdom. And one way is a way that only you can know. But the other way is a way that only other people could know. Okay, so I'm going to show you what I mean by that. First, James says, a person who is growing in wisdom is more and more aware of their true feelings and true intentions. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. This is a statement that really speaks to a health and a self-awareness that, that comes from the Holy Spirit. So, so James is saying here, one of the ways we can assess whether or not we're growing in wisdom is whether or not we are more and more aware and honest about our feelings and our intentions. How much covering up are we doing in our life because of what we're feeling? We say all the time around here, we do things we don't want to do because we feel ways we don't want to feel. How has the Holy Spirit, how has your spirituality, how has your relationship with Jesus made you more aware and more honest about your feelings and your intentions? As a general rule in life, I've learned the more someone talks about how great they are, the more they're trying to convince themselves that's true. And it turns out that your mom was right when you came home from elementary school upset that the people who spend the most time making fun of you are really jealous of you. It's true too. So James is getting at jealousy and selfish ambition here. And this is a time for us to kind of pause and to assess what is really happening in our heart. What are the feelings and the emotions? Because it's possible, it's possible for those of us, and I'm speaking to myself here, it's possible for those of us who kind of live in our heads but not as much in our hearts to wake up every day and to open the Bible and to read the Bible and to memorize some Bible verses and to answer some group questions and to stay up here the whole time but never allow the Holy Spirit to get into our hearts and to help us realize what's really happening emotionally in our life. What am I really feeling? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Are you aware of what you truly feel? When, some, when, when, when your spouse or when a friend or when someone says, how are you feeling? Do you have any other answer besides fine, pretty good, all right, frustrated, <laughs> right? Trust me, I get that. Are you really aware of what you, what you want? Are you, do you know what you truly want in life? I mean, James is getting to like some, some really like master level stuff here about wisdom in our life. And, and it's incredibly difficult to recognize because we disguise our inadequacies with all kinds of noble things. So, so he says here, not to cover up jealousy and selfish ambition with boasting and lying. And if I were to say to you, like, is that something you do? Do you feel like you boast a lot? Do you feel like you lie a lot because you're trying to cover up? you know, what you're feeling, all of us, our immediate reaction would be like, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. But we do. We cover up our feelings and our intentions with, with really noble things. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, I mean, this is really evident in parenting. 
I'll hit both sides for a second. Like, I know, you know, for a mom, there can be such feelings of inadequacy. Isn't this true? It's so easy in the parenting world, mom, to to be jealous, you know, to kind of live in this world where it seems as if everyone's doing better. You know, Andrea and I have this argument all the time about how much cleaner her friends' houses are. And I say, yeah, that's because they know we're coming over. (laughs) If we knew they were coming over, we would clean ours up too. It doesn't always look like that, okay? But, But it's so easy to... To, to have really deep-rooted feelings of jealousy and really deep-rooted feelings of selfish ambition and to then try to cover those up through noble attempts at parenting and parenting your kid or being present in your kid's life or providing opportunities for your kids that are subtle forms of, of, of boasting Subtle forms of boasting and, and, and subtle forms of lying. Presenting a picture of what your home looks like or what your kids are like or taking 40 pictures and posting the best one. Nothing wrong with that. We all do it, right? But, but we get it, like presenting the best picture. Being seen a certain way. And what happens in these moments when we are covering up our true feelings and intentions with subtle forms of boasting and lying is when we feel like we're succeeding, we are incredibly prideful. And when we feel like we're failing, we are incredibly miserable. Isn't that true? Because we're trying to cover up jealousy and selfish ambition through noble means. But until the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and helps us to be more aware of what we're really feeling and what we really want in life, we'll continue to try to cover up. But what about on the other side? And I'm using some real like gender stereotypes, so forgive me, but I'm just gonna speak, I'm just talking about my home. I'm, I'm the coach in our house. So I handle all the sports stuff, right? Andrea just wanted like a folding rocking chair. I handle everything else, okay? For the field, she's sitting. I got everything else. And so maybe my jealousy and selfish ambition doesn't come from Pinterest. It doesn't come from, you know, decorations or cleanliness in the house. But if you're the coach, if you're the, if you're the one responsible for the productivity and the accomplishments in the family, the trophy room in the family, isn't it true that your kid's performance, you feel like sometimes proves something about you? Their grades, their, their, their accomplishments on the field, their, their position in the batting order, the position that they play on the field. What's happening in those moments? Well, unless the Holy Spirit is helping us to be more aware of where there's jealousy or selfish ambition, we will be unaware of the fact that we're using noble means of being present in our kid's life and trying to help our kids. We would be unaware that these noble means of, of trying to be present and helpful in our kid's life is actually a way that we are covering up through, through, through boasting and, and lying or dishonesty. This could, this could be through doing charitable work. It's possible to be a really helpful person. But the reason that you keep showing up and the reason that you keep being helpful 
is because you are trying to cover up feelings of inadequacy and jealousy and ambition in your life through subtle, maybe unaware of forms of of boasting and lying, trying to present to people that you are actually more selfless than you are, more helpful than you really are, right? Maybe this is through getting degrees, continuing to go to school and get more degrees or read more books. Why do we need a little more information? Because maybe we're unaware of of the inadequacy or the discontentment we feel in our lives, the jealousy and the selfish ambition we feel in our lives. And so we don't stand up and say, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm really smart. But we figure out ways to cover up those feelings through boasting or lying. We could keep going, right? Another promotion at work, maybe physical parents. You know, it's, 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 it's at work, it's like another title, another promotion, more money, nothing wrong with those things, unless we're unaware of, of how moving farther up the ladder is an attempt to cover up intentions and feelings. Physical appearance, nothing wrong with a gym selfie, unless we're unaware, unless we're unaware that the affirmation we're looking for on posting that is really just trying to cover up Hey, health is better than unhealth, right? Skinny's better than obese. But listen, if we're not aware of what we're feeling and what our intentions in life are, we're just using noble means to cover up. And so, of course, there's so much good that comes from these things. But wisdom from God... A way to know that we are growing in that wisdom is to be more aware of our ambition, more aware of our discontentment and how it is driving us. And listen, only you can know that. Only you can know that. Only you know your motives. Only you know how you really feel. Only you know what you really mean. Only you can know that. So would you say that since you have put your faith in Jesus that you feel less jealous of others? Would you say that since you've put your faith in Jesus, you have more contentment in your life? You don't feel as big of a need to get ahead, to be others? You know, isn't the dirty little secret of success that it's not how successful you are, it's how successful you feel? And the line keeps moving. Would you say that since your faith in Jesus, you wanna be a good steward, you wanna be faithful, you wanna maximize the talent that he's giving you, given you? But you have become more aware through the help of the power of the Holy Spirit of what's driving you. Only you can know your motives and your desires. So that's the first way we can be aware if we are growing in wisdom, godly wisdom, that we are more aware of what we're feeling and what we want and what we're driven by. And only you can know that. But there's a second way. And James says that that this other way is a way that you can't even really know. Only other people can know about you. Look at verse 17, he says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. These are characteristics that you can't really grade in yourself. Like, how do you know if you're being more merciful? You can't. How do you know if you're actually being more gentle? Well, you can't. These are, these are ways that only people can receive you. Only people can 
interact with you in, in your life. And so would the people who know you the best say that since you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are a more loving person? You are a more gentle person. You're more willing to yield to others. You're more full of mercy. You're more sincere. Would these be characteristics of your life since your faith in Jesus? And here's what's so hard about these is you can't accomplish this. It only grows out of humility. This is fruit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. These are fruit that come out of a heart that's rooted in Jesus. But if you've got something to prove in life, if you've still got something to prove, you can't be gentle. It's not possible. If you've still got something to prove in life, you cannot yield to others. It's not possible. And you wonder, why do these things come out of me? It's because there is still not this godly wisdom that is growing inside of you. Our example is Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ came, God himself, God himself left heaven and came to earth. He served others. He was misunderstood. He was betrayed. He was crucified. And he never felt the need to defend himself. He never felt the need to fight back. How could he do that? Because he knew who he was. He had a proper perspective and understanding of who he was. And so, if we find ourselves constantly feeling the need to be better than someone else, prove something to someone else, it can only be because we haven't fully grasped the gospel message that we are really nobody, but have become a somebody because of Jesus Christ and the cross. Not because of our physical appearance, or our parenting ability, or our job, or our bank account, or our zip code. That's not what makes us somebody. What makes us somebody is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the wisdom that we desire from above and the humility that that is necessary can only come when we fully grasp the cross. That the only thing that makes us worth something is Jesus That if there's discontentment in our heart or jealousy in our heart, it's because we are forgetting who we are in Christ. If we find ourselves constantly discontent, it's because we have forgotten all that we've received in our inheritance because of Christ. And we're back into that proving, 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 proving mode. But the wisdom from God, from above, comes when we fully embrace and grasp all that we have received in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, our our worship team is going to pray for us, or uh, sing for us, and uh, they're going to sing one of my favorite songs right now, The Power of the Cross. We've done it before, but it's just a reminder to me, and we're going to take communion during that song, and this is an opportunity and a reminder to me that got nothing to prove. Jesus proved it all. And so every day when I wake up and I feel those sirens of accomplishment and worry and and ambition, I've got to remember the cross. 
got to remember the I've got to remember Jesus. I've got to remember the gospel message. A proper perspective of who I am will birth a humility and a wisdom. And so we're going to pray a congregational prayer together. If you grab your worship guide for me as the team comes up and gets ready to sing for us. I'm going to pray this for us, and then at the end, you join me where it's in bold. We want to give you these to give you a language during the week to pray, a rhythm during your week to, to, to pray to God. And so take this with you and figure out where it fits into your week. It says, God, I live in a world that is not my home, surrounded by so-called wisdom that's nothing more than techniques and philosophies to get ahead at the expense of others. Your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts higher than my thoughts. So I come to you now recognizing my limited view and asking for a wisdom from above. At my worst, I am no different than my surroundings, striving and fighting for my way and my glory. But at my best, I am more like Christ, willing to lay down my life for my friends. While I wait for your return, free me from my need for praise from my fear of rejection and from a false love that lacks sincerity. Instead, let those who know me see in me a changing heart growing in purity, peace, mercy, love, and humility. Will you join me? Yes, Lord. Free me from the entanglements and philosophies of this world and instead fill me with the wisdom of heaven. Amen.